The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. You know, it really has been a fascinating over the past few months to check in with someone on the front lines of COVID-19, someone dealing with it in the hospitals and trying to, you know, figure out best practices. We are fortunate that that person is Dr. Peter Brindley, who is an ICU doctor at the U of A hospital and a professor of critical care medicine, medical ethics and anesthesiology. Dr. Brindley, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I, I loved your hesitation when you said medical ethics there. Some other people find that <laughs> shocking too. <laughs> I I was I was I double clutched because I knew I had to say anesthesiology coming up. Oh, That's I why. See. Yes, <laughs> Which I'm absolutely fascinated with, uh, given I just underwent some dental surgery um, a couple of days ago, and I'm always fascinated by how people come out of that, uh, because I turn into a crazy lady. I. I- I won't allow you to say such a thing. Um, <laughs> but it is a, it, anesthesia is an absolutely remarkable thing. And when you look at the history of medicine, the change it has wrought to medicine is incredible. We take it for granted yeah, too often. It, uh, it, uh, I always embarrass myself coming out of that stuff. But anyway, how are things at the U of A right now? Um, I know it's been quiet for the last month or so. I know the Royal Alec has, uh, has another COVID-19 case in ICU. But things have been a little quiet at uh, U of A lately. You're absolutely correct. Uh, just so you know, the medical superstition, we never use the word quiet. It uh, tends mm. state. We use peaceful. <laughs> uh, we use uh, relatively calm. But it is quiet. Um, as you say, that's the case of the ALEC. The restrictions have been loosened. There will be more cases. You know, we can't mm. live in this dream world where we loosen the restrictions and there's no cases and this thing just disappears. Uh, but we're managing just fine. And, and in fact, green shoots of normalcy are appearing everywhere. Visitors are back How? in the hospital, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, more elective surgery is being done, thank goodness. We have started to realize we need to balance all of the diseases that people present with and not just become excessively focused on one. Are, are, are you seeing a return of people actually willing to come back to the hospital? Because I think for a while, people were afraid to go to the hospital, even if they had something quite worrisome going on. And there was concern by health uh, professionals that people were ignoring or putting aside potentially dangerous conditions because they were afraid of the possibility of getting sick at the hospital. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this issue. That was definitely an issue. Uh, it is less so now. In the early days, you know, nobody knew whether this was the new bubonic plague uh, or whether it was the flu, and it's neither. It's somewhere in between the two. We have all been worried about what's become euphemistically known as non-COVID but COVID-related issues. In other words, the stroke not presenting until it's too late, the heart attack not presenting until it's too late. And I can't show you definitive data but there are suggestions out of Europe that there might have been there one death from non-COVID for every three from COVID. In, mm. in other words, I, I don't mean other diseases. I mean other diseases that would have survived otherwise. I don't have any Canadian data that suggests the same thing, but we've all been very concerned about it. The biggest take-home I would give your listeners is if you would have gone in the hospital, to the hospital rather, in February for whatever you have right now, 
go in now. Mm. Uh, there was fear, and I, I'd like to get across the point that, you know, we were a hospital of fear for too long. We're back to being a hospital of hope. I have just mm. returned from seeing a patient in a non-COVID unit with a non-COVID illness who who survived, and it's a remarkable save, and it's a, it's a remarkable recovery. One of these you only sort of see every five years or so and there wasn't mm. a dry eye in the house and that had nothing to do with COVID um, and, and perhaps the part of the remarkable recovery was that all of this happened with this craziness going on in the hospital as you can yeah. imagine her poor family has been through hell and back including with the restrictions what have you and your staff learned from from all of this you know I, I'm looking at some of your latest writing and I and I love how you kind of portrayed you know this 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 virus that is so tiny but the big damage that it did that it did um have on on us and and the world in many many different ways what's what's your thought process on what you learned and and what you can put into practice moving forward from this another great point i mean what as healthcare professionals, you know, to, to quote Winston Churchill, never let a good crisis go to waste. So it's been very important for us, not in a gratuitous, you know, celebrate us sort of way, not that way at all, but it's been very important for us to seize this opportunity to actually tell people what an ICU is and what it isn't. I've spent years going to parties and nobody having the faintest idea what I do. Um, the flip side now of everybody knowing what I do is actually many of us thought we would like the limelight. We actually just want to go back to being anonymous healthcare <laughs> workers is one of the big take-homes for me. The other thing we've all found out is that healthcare is a linchpin. I mean, it provides economic stability. It, it you know, knits communities together and therefore going forward, we are going to have to build some redundancy into the system and have spare beds available rather than always run at 100% capacity. A very difficult conversation and, and money doesn't grow on trees and, and certainly the economy's a bit of an omni-shambles right now to use a British term. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying any of these discussions will be simple, but this is one of the take-homes. My other take-home has been that we've all been sort of dragged into politics and most of us have not <laughs> liked it. I mean, a very simple example, I, I perhaps talked a little too freely on another interview and, and about how fascinated I was about this tiny virus uh, causing so much mm. damage. And some people concluded from that that I was arguing masks didn't work because the virus was so small mm. it could get through. And I, I wasn't arguing anything of the sort, and I apologize if I confused anyone. But it's very interesting how we've been dragged into issues. And it's actually very interesting how medical issues have become political. You know, down in the States, whether you wear a mask or not, at times indicates your political beliefs, whereas yep. fortunately up in Canada, I don't think that's been the case, and we can't allow it to be the case. I was uh, reading an article today about a woman who is starting a, a burn the mask <laughs> campaign, yeah. right? You know, doesn't like being told to wear a mask. I have, you know, numerous texters saying that we're not sheep and I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not doing it. And and one, one of them in particular is a senior um, and just refuses to be told or even suggested to that she should wear a mask and 
there's nothing I can do about that. I can I can say it's been recommended or it's or it's not. Everyone has their own decisions to make on this one. When you look back over the past three months, four months, how much of this do you think we got right with what we did, what the country did, what the province did? Great question. I think the vast majority we got right. And I'm I'm impressed that they've opened things back up in a graduated fashion. You know, we all wanted it to be quicker. I wanted it to be quicker. I didn't want to see any more of my neighbors losing their businesses. I, I want to get out and live a normal life. I actually think we've done rather well. Getting back to the mask issue, if I may, for two seconds, mm-hmm. you know, the minute we decide that this is an autonomy issue rather than a safety issue, we're, we're, in, we're in trouble. All I would say is it's a nuanced issue. So some people said, well, how on earth, or rather, why on earth didn't people recommend these things up front? And now why are yes. they saying we should? Can't you guys give us a straight answer? And I'm afraid it's because masks do decrease your likelihood of transmitting and do decrease your likelihood of catching, but they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I can tell you, I end up wearing one for 10 hours a day, and it is <laughs> very claustrophobic. It's difficult to communicate, and I, it's very difficult for me not to scratch my face, which would yeah. therefore make the mask useless. So, you know, masks aren't perfect. They're also not imperfect, and I think it's this difficulty people have had with, well, just give me a simple answer for it disease where there isn't a simple answer. You know, one of the things that hasn't been in short supply during this time is the use of the word unprecedented. The whole mm-hmm. point is unprecedented, so we couldn't give you a playbook on day one. That's uh, right. But using the best of science and dialing down the hyperbole and not getting shouty, I think we've actually done rather well. It's it's quite remarkable, though, still um, the number of people, and I fire up my text line here in 321, that uh, believe that it's all BS, that it's all overreaction, that it's uh, we should have just gone on with our lives, that, you know, all of, the, all of those things, um, you know, refusing to believe in the medical experts. I, I, I'm still staggered by that. Well, you know, twas ever thus. I mean, we have <laughs> had to sell is entirely the wrong word, but we've, you know, science is persuasion. Science is challenging beliefs, not just blindly accepting them. And mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons I started the last article by doing a back of the envelope calculation, as you alluded to, about yeah. the size of this virus. You know, it's 0.85 atograms, which is 10 to the minus 18. If you times it by all the people that have had it in the world, if you could see it, you'd be talking half a, t- a teaspoon. And look what it's done to the economy. So I get it that people say, if I can't see it, it doesn't affect me. I get that. I understand that. And that's why we've just tried to find time and space to say, well, can we chat about that? You know, I accept Mm -hmm. your concerns, but let's have a conversation. Now, unfortunately, and I hope this changes, the ICU has remained locked down, so we can't tour people through. You know, one of the things I'd love to do is democratize the ICU as a result of this experience and bring people in and say, hey, this is an ICU. On the one hand, don't be scared, but on the other hand, don't be blithe and... uh, and disregarding. You you don't want to be here. We've been talking about, you know, whether or not uh, the province, the the country got it right and how it handled COVID. And my question to him before we went to break was, where do we go from here? What 
does going to the hospital look like moving forward? What do you envision for us in the community moving forward, Dr. Brindley? It's a massive question, and as you can imagine, it is. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I can only give you my two cents and caveat everything I say. Uh, you should definitely talk to public health doctors about this, but my two cents is that we go forward cautiously, slowly, but forward. Um, it's going to be about balance. We cannot become completely obsessed with one disease, and we're already seeing not the consequences of that, but what happens. You know, we're now seeing motor vehicle crashes coming in to the hospital. We're seeing, if I can be very upfront with you, a lot of alcoholic liver disease mm -hmm. coming into the hospital. You know, there are consequences of focusing too much on one disease, but it's still a very real thing. Most pandemics have a second wave. This is around for a while. A vaccine is a ways off. And so... To go forward, we have to do so in a sensible, graduated fashion. Um, you know, people have got to look after themselves, but equally find balance. You know, I'm, I'm, the masking is an important issue, but, you know, you can take it off when you're driving your car on your own, for example. Mm -hmm, and I, mm -hmm. I think there are people who might go too far the other way, and I think mm -hmm. the way to sustain ourselves is, is to find the balance. You had talked in one of the last articles that you had written about bureaucracy, some of the things that need to improve, <laughs> that need to improve, that you've learned through all of this. And you said, you know, however, let's all heed COVID's uncomfortable lessons. We have flattened the viral curve, but we haven't flattened bureaucracy. What do you mean by that? This is one of my more... Uh <laughs> moments, wasn't it? Uh, so let me give you examples of good and uh, examples of not so good. So there have been some excellent examples where bureaucracy administration, and, and I work in administration as well as being a clinician, has said, hey, what do you need? How can we make it happen? Wonderful. There have also been multiple examples where we've been asked to sign contracts that are still, you know, to provide service that are still 25 pages long and require us to run around and grab all our certificates and have them notarized, etc. So one simple example is, your listeners may be shocked to realize, doctors are not licensed across the country, even though all our exams are of a national standard and are done hmm. across the country. So let's say tomorrow, there's a huge outbreak in British Columbia and they want Albertans to respond in much the same way that firefighters go to different jurisdictions. I don't know that we're ready to do that. Most of the time that takes thousands of dollars of applications, weeks of paperwork and this, that and the other. So, uh, you know, there's been some green shoots of bureaucracy dying down a little bit, but we've still got a lot to learn. And we still look at healthcare provincially, which is why we yeah. have these different restrictions for different provinces rather than thinking ourselves as a country. Before I let you go, um, there's been a lot of talk from a lot of different people, and I've seen them saying, you know what, COVID has allowed me to slow down. Mm -hmm. COVID has allowed me to take a different look at things. There was a poem or a little thing that w went viral a while back. It's called, you know, what if 2020 isn't cancelled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. And it goes on talking about working for change and becoming the change. You know, maybe 2020 isn't cancelled, but rather the most important year of them all. And and I and I wonder if there's going to be some positives come out of this. 
Um, well, I think there are, because you have to feel that way as a human. But you know what I think, and maybe I can lead the charge on this, everybody has their, I feel a bit awkward saying this, but COVID has been awful, but it hasn't been all awful, insert mm-hmm. example. And certainly from my point of view, I've rediscovered simple pleasures. Um, you know, I've been mountain biking my, I was going to say little backside off, it's quite a large backside actually, but throughout <laughs> this time I've been rediscovering how gorgeous our river valley is. Most of the mm-hmm. great philosophers conclude their works by saying happiness is having a garden and a library, and I've been reading as much as I can and getting outside as much as I can. I want to credit the 630 Chad listeners. You tip the balance. I now have the world's most beautiful puppy in my house as of four days ago. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry that you're all competing for a silver medal now. But I think we all have those episodes. Now, this is not to take away from the poor people who've suffered or or even those that have died. I'm not making light of that. But, uh, you know, get outside, spend time with friends, sit back and think. Realize you don't have to fly around the world every weekend that there's incredible things in your own backyard. I think those are some of the lessons I've taken away and that's made me a better, more patient person. And I'm delighted that I've had that opportunity at the same time as I've been challenged. You know, uh, one of the best things that ever happens is people get challenged and they make it through. That's what COVID's been for our medical system. Dr. Brindley, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Absolute pleasure. Best regards to everybody out there. Take care. Dr. Peter Brindley from the University of Alberta.